0: Mitch here, <laughs> back again <laughs> with the Ladder of us podcast. Today I have uh, Bradley with me. We're going to talk about creativity tonight. Well, I said today and then tonight, but it's all the same. doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, Some are lost in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you go ahead. Take it away.
1: All right. So, I guess we're going to be on the topic of creativity. And uh, the first creative outlet, personally, that I have is writing. So, if there's any listeners out there that also enjoy writing, I'm going to go ahead, or reading for that matter, more importantly, I'm going to go ahead and plug my book. It should be coming out in the next couple weeks on Amazon. You could find it under the title Millennial Purgatory. It's like, more like a psychological thriller with a Black mirror ending. So if you like that style, check it out, Millennial Purgatory, again. But anyways, so... Oh, from the topic of creativity. For me, writing, uh, the biggest creative outlet I have. But the thing that I find hardest is sparking the creative outlet inside your mind. Because everybody has a different tactic or what have you to, you know, get those creative juices flowing. Me, personally, out of everything I've heard from everybody else, like all the way from drinking, to going for a walk, to anything. Mine is just really building habit. Like if you get up every morning and you make it a habit to start writing for the first hour you're awake, it seems like the creative juices start coming naturally. Like they're waiting for that time in the morning. They're just like building up throughout the day because you think about it more, the stories when you work on it more um, consistently. And so that way is the best that I have found for writing in my personal opinion is just creating a habit, going with it every day and those creative juices start to just flow naturally and yeah. What about you? What is your what do you think your uh, yeah, biggest I, inspiration for creativity is?
0: I would say it's more environmental for me. So if I if I'm in a particular place like particularly alone, that's where I tend to be mostly creative. If I'm surrounded by people, or, or noise, I not a noise in the sense of people. Uh, I can't really, my mind isn't there. But when I find like a long drive, that's that's sort of like my go-to long, long, uh, peaceful drive. Just listening to some music, low key in the background. That uh, it, it, there's something autonomous about that. Just especially like a an old back road where there's hardly anybody. It's just driving through the old countryside and stuff. I kind of just let my imagination go there. And then I'll just sort of let it incubate for a while. And then when I actually write it, whatever it may be, I want to completely isolate myself. And now, of course, everyone's different. Some people like to go to a park and ride, or, you know, they'll ride on a fucking train, whatever. But for me, it's definitely a more isolated uh, experience. I love to just be sort of shelled away, holed away somewhere, and just let it go and let my emotions go to that place whatever it may be
1: yeah i found it uh pretty peaceful at times to write in isolation but at the same time like um sometimes i have the urge to just get up and go to a coffee shop just uh, being outside and walking around in between writing i also find helps i don't know if it necessarily helps creativity but it kind of is like a little release and a little getaway and uh, takes a like a little break and a little stress off your mind. You move in places, grab a coffee, you know, sit down somewhere out in the open. I don't know. It, it helps a little bit for me. But sometimes I do just stay up in the bedroom at the desk and just you know tap away at the keys up there in the morning times. That's mostly what I do. But when I have the energy, I do like to go out and write in other places. But I, I've never really found myself writing in a park or anything.
0: Well, I think a lot of people do it because of the the whole environment of, of watching people, pe- you know, the interactions that other people have I think is really helpful and inspirational. Yeah, to a people lot of writers. watching
1: all day, man, yeah. can definitely stir up some ideas in your head, man. There's yeah, some you psychos see, out there. <laughs> right, you see
0: some like fucking weird exchanges or you you know, just observing like you could be at a coffee shop, observe from a corner and see that two people are on like an awkward first date just by their small interactions.
1: I actually had that exact thing almost Um, not quite the same but um I was in a little diner and I heard a couple behind me like going through a breakup and like it and yeah and it was like a long time coming (laughs) like so like they were like bringing up shit from like years ago and I was like this actually is pretty interesting I, I took that scenario and I added an extra element of an old man in front of me having a conversation with the waitress and I turned that into a scene in my book and that literally just stemmed from almost that exact scenario that we were just talking about yeah so it's small things like that
0: I think that's why a lot of people uh, favor going to public places for me it's not that I'm obviously you know fuck I love to apply real world experiences to any creative outlet who wouldn't But I like to just go out, live it, do it, and then let it stew, think about it, let it resonate, figure out what I want to do, and then come home and just sort of like regurgitate you know, just vomit it all out, get it all out. So I sort of hold it up like a fucking squirrel with some acorn, store all that up, and then just let it out, you know. So it gives me time, too, to think about what of it I want to keep, what of it I want to cut. And, you know, that applies to just my own internal thoughts, too. Just not things that I see amongst other people, but whatever I think. And a lot of times, for me, it's about... I love wordplay, too, so I'll I'll get into how something sounds, how it feels, how it sounds. Just the sonics of saying a line means a lot to me. So, you know, because you know how I've mentioned this so many times before, my undying love for Quentin Tarantino. There's just something so juicy about his dialogue it just sound it sounds different it's like people people don't talk that way
1: well i don't know i feel like it's the exact opposite i feel like it's just so authentic that it's you could it just doesn't seem like it's like scripted at all because the oh it doesn't it seems nature.
0: authentic but it seems almost like everyone's too fucking cool for school And I mean that in a complimentary way. Like, it definitely seems real, but it seems real within the context of, like, a world where everything that everyone says is interesting, even at the most minute level.
1: Yeah, well, you gotta remember the movies he's making are about pretty interesting people. You know, I guess that's true. Like, they're hitmen, they're fucking goddamn ninjas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's these, you know, it's the little tender moments in, in all his movies. But it's also, like, the small scenes, like... The scene in the you know with the Marvin in the back of the car, they're fucking debating about whether it's divine intervention or not, and then he shoots Marvin in the fucking head. Oh Oh, man, did you just shoot Marvin in the fucking head? (laughs) Oh man, shit. You know, so it's just little things like that. I mean, so yeah, it it feels authentic. It it doesn't feel scripted or calculated in a derogatory sense. It feels real, but unorthodox. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's cool, though. It's a nice twist. And, you know, it's like, for example, there he has this little recurring bit through most of his movies where he'll he'll take, like, one thing and rhyme it. Uh, where, like, when Beatrix is in the hospital, she's in a coma, remember? Kill Bill? Mm. And that guy comes in there, he's like, I'm book, and I'm here to fuck. <laughs> you know, and then uh, it, it, in Pulp Fiction, the guy at Bar at the beginning of the movie, he's like, my name's Paul, and this shit's between y'all. Things like that. Like, people yeah. don't talk like that. Yeah. They don't talk like that. It's just, it's, it's little things. And, like, these strange uh, monologues, too. Like, you know, that happens. That does happen. People do give, like, ranty monologues. That's real, but it's not. I mean, you're a prime example. Of yeah, that's definitely how I talk, for sure. But yeah. it's not, I would say it's particularly common. And, like, when Marcellus is talking about pride. You know, at the beginning. And he's talking about how pride is, is only bad. It's only... And I mean, it, when you think about it, it's true. Like, it brings no good to your life. Yeah. You know? So, it's it's the little things. Take the fall in round three. <laughs> yeah, take the fucking fall. And, you know, of course, he mercs the fucking dude. Yeah, he but, kills him, right? Yeah, I think he kills him. <laughs> yeah. he kills him. He hits him so fucking hard, he kills him. But, it's... <laughs>
1: that is pretty like pretty unrealistic. He right, it's like going to a boxing match and murdering. So he <laughs> he
0: manages to blend like this fucking weird line where it's believable to a particular context what he he has I've heard him talk about this within his narrative structure. He has like movies and movie movies as he's he's called it something to that effect. So essentially he has movies that are "quote unquote real" And then he has movie... And then a lot of those movies, that like Kill Bill, takes pl- take place within his movies. So the context of Kill Bill... Kill Bill would be a movie within the Pulp Fiction movie. Mm-hmm. So that would be a movie, theoretically, that the characters of Pulp Fiction would watch. Okay. To the best of my understanding. And that applies to Death Proof and pretty much any of his movies that are just, like, super fucking unrealistic. Yeah. You know, crazy, all over the top. You know? And... But, but I mean, obviously people come for the style and the dialogue. And, yeah, I would definitely say his di- there is an authenticity to it in the sense that when most... I've mentioned this before, too. Like, when people write dialogue, it's so fucking... I feel like it's really contrived. Like, where the villain just arbitrarily explains his entire motive oh, yeah. for no fucking reason to the protagonist, which happens in, like, every fucking action sequence ever, at the end of every action movie. You know, so I just like, like another good example of really uh, unorthodox writing structure is, have you ever seen that movie In Bruges? No. I may have told you about it. I think his name's like Martin McDonough or something. He's a, he's primarily an Irish playwright, and he did another movie called Seven Psychopaths, Three, Bil- three Billboards in Mississippi, yeah, or Missouri, it. maybe? Yeah, I saw the Three yeah. Billboards. Yeah, Three Billboards. That one's different. So, I mean, he'll basically take elements... Of of like tragedy and all these like deeply rooted play oriented mechanisms, uh, like the just over the top theatrics, but he'll also like when you think that the movie would end, it's it's like the halfway point, yeah. you know. It takes these odd turns that you would have never anticipated, you know. So, uh, his movies definitely some under underrated gems. He's a fucking great, great writer. So I, I like stuff more more like that, where it's unconventional. I can't really predict, like, the act structure.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the opposite of what I was, like, one of my favorites, uh, Stephen King. He's pretty, pretty straightforward, very, like, uh, very detail-oriented in his character development. And it's, like, not all of his books, but... A, a lot of them are kind of predictable with the characters, but um, he does leave the element of surprise uh, pretty open in a lot of them when he gets... I think it's more or open to surprise when he leaves the supernatural elements into it, but some of the other ones I feel like the whole book can just be a description rather than chasing down like an actual journey or adventure in the book, like when I read... Uh, his newest novel, not his newest, maybe it's one of his closest to newest ones, I don't know, it's called Joyride. It was uh, made as like a like detective, or not detective, but like mystery. Wasn't really horror, but like the whole thing was basically just the fucking life of this kid as he works at a, a carnival or an amusement park or something for a whole summer, then takes it on as like a part-time job after that, and it's like, him and two other people that work there that end up dating each other but then like at the very fucking end of it there's like the murder mystery and that's it but like almost the whole entire book is just this kid fucking working at an amusement park and it's like I like I like when he does the supernatural elements because it has the more elements of surprise but I do like that style where it really like explains everything you see the character development very clearly but there is always lurking in the shadows some type of supernatural or creepy uh, motive or person or element behind the scenes that you're waiting for to come in but um, yeah, it's not not quite like the same as what you were saying with Tarantino, Tarantino's like yeah, more like everybody is too cool for school, everybody's got something cool to say, You, you see how they are by like listening to what they say rather than describing it, but I don't know every style Kind of has their own viewers and uh, people who appreciate it. I guess that's all subjective, but personally, yeah, I like a, a simple style. Like if, if I had a style of books, I wouldn't even know how to label it the genre because I would like, like, the scripts for independent films. It's always something super simple, but like they twist it in like a weird way. Like, but it's it's gotta be so easy to fucking film and shoot it in, like, low budget because none of it has any, like, like huge car wrecks or explosions or military infiltration or something crazy. Yeah, it's a you story know, like, about people. Yeah, and, like, those are the kind of books I kind of like to dive into. Mostly I just, like, fiddle through the fiction section and see if I could find one eventually, which I normally do, but I don't really even know, like, the fucking genre I would look for to find that specifically. I only know it in movies because so, it would be an independent film, but uh yeah, those ones I really like cuz it's yeah, it's just people with fucked up weird problems in life, but then like they always end up fucking it up worse and it like and the good thing about independent independent films, it's you kind of don't ever expect a happy ending. It's always <laughs> just like it it usually just fucks up more. Like their life is going to shit. They have a big explosion. You think there's a redemption, then it goes back to shit. I mean, that's more <laughs> indicative of the real-world experience. I yeah. think that's how most
0: people are. Most but, people bottom out, and they just stay there. Yes,
1: yeah, so I kind of like the more realistic aspects of life. I guess that's what I was originally trying to drift away from when we were talking about Tarantino, because you were saying his characters are so unrealistic. I went on some arbitrary spiel about King's dialogue. <laughs> but, well, uh,
0: I, I mean, yeah, I think, again... I, I think people misconstrue. I mean, I suppose there's a realism in the sense that their conversations are mundane, right? So realistically, you know, like a movie about a hitman, like most would be, it's it's mostly killing. Like the story is the hitman, Merkin motherfuckers. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, what happens when he gets back in the car? Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what Pulp Fiction's about. What yeah. happens when he gets back in the car? Yeah. Him and his partner. So that part... There's a realism to that because somebody is actually a hitman. That's true. But then all the crazy over-the-top theatrics, like there's no fucking way one guy kills like a hundred guys in a room, like some John Wick shit, yeah. right? But the getting in the car and talking about mundane shit like foot rubs, etc. That's real. But again, the way in which the characters speak is not realistic. You know, like quoting the fucking Bible at the very end of the book and talking about the tyranny of evil men. It's it, there's like a poetry and a a, almost like a, an old theater vibe, and I mean that's evident in uh, Hateful Eight, which is very play inspired. You know, I could easily see him adapting that into a play.
1: Yeah, it would be super easy because it takes place in one spot almost yeah, the entire time. Definitely, I mean, you could just have scene changes. Well, not even scene changes. You just need like actors coming in and off stage. Super easy. It's like you're either
0: they're like coming up to the cabin they're outside of the cabin at the very beginning, and then it's the rest of it's in the cabin. It's like 90% of the movie. You got one person under. You got one person <laughs> under the cabin. Spoilers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but the way in which the characters interact is highly unusual. It's mundane. What they're talking about is mundane. But the words which, that they choose in their conversations are definitely unusual. The yeah. way they string them together.
1: Yeah, I like it, though, man. So I,
0: fucking, cool. Um. It's a style. It's like he, there's substance in the in the words, like I've said before, the end of Kill Bill, uh too, where she does the explosion to the heart. Five yeah. finger explosion thing that uh Mei or whatever taught her to explode Bill's heart. She hits him with it, pa you know, and so he's fucked. He's gonna die. He's like bleeding out of his mouth. As soon as he gets up and walks five steps, he's dead. He knows that. And she starts crying, lamenting what she's done and you know, does she regret it? You know, this was the love of her life. And then she starts crying and saying, am I a bad person? And he just consoles her and says, no, you're my favorite person. Just yeah. like the most beautiful. I fucking love it. It's agonizingly beautiful, you know. So it's like, yeah, it's a fucking unrealistic scenario. She just fucking hit him in the chest. He's going to fucking die. That's unrealistic. But those little tender moments in between are remind you of how human they are. You know, even though that's a completely insane movie concept.
1: So, no, um, yeah, the, like the, the things that make you like relate to books for me are a lot of the times the simple things. Like if someone described brushing their teeth and spitting the toothpaste into the sink and it getting stuck on the side and having to swipe it down with your finger like little things like that so you just like,
0: like really relatable mundane descriptions like and that's shit. what
1: i really like like if i'm reading a book that's i in my opinion how you turn the mundane into relatable or interesting is you if you can't You can just say, "Yeah, I went and brushed my teeth." No, that's I. I agree totally. Like you're like, I went and I brushed my teeth, and I spit the gooey substance into the sink, and it stuck to the side, and I wiped it down, but it got caught on my finger. So then I had to wash it off my finger with the the water from the sink. But there's a balance to that. Like I wouldn't want to read a whole
0: fucking thing on that. I'd throw
1: a paragraph in, dude. (laughs) Like just a whole, but
0: like. I feel like there's such a thing as over-describing a scenario as There well.
1: is, but I mean, like, if you could do little ones like that and sprinkle them and pepper them throughout the book, and it's like, it kind of makes it more relatable but, to the character in, in and of itself, even if the character is a fucking murderer. You know? That's like, true.
0: Like, I I like the that mundane aspect as well, but I also like when there's a, you know, a sense of personality as well. Like, I want to hear... Like, what I would prefer is, let's describe that exact same scenario where someone's brushing their teeth and da-da-da. But I want to hear in their voice. I want to imagine, like, the irritation.
1: You know? Oh, yeah, of course. I, I,
0: wanna, I want it to be... I don't want just, like, a mundane description of this happened.
1: I want to I think my to voice feel... just sounds mundane when I'm reading it. Like, yeah. I, like that also could be, like, how you read it in your head. Because like, if I say it two different ways, yeah. it might sound totally different. Like... I was brushing my teeth, I spit out the gooey substance into the sink, and then I tried to wipe it down with my finger. It stuck to my finger, so I washed it off with the water.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You could probably add the word fucking in there once, and it will change everything. So yeah, I was brushing my teeth, I spit the substance into the sink, it got stuck on the side, then I wiped it with my finger, and I couldn't get it off my finger, so I had to turn on the fucking water. See, <laughs> it adds so much. Yeah. That it's one just, word, yeah, Bill Cosby also was like, wrong.
0: Said we didn't need those words. <laughs> Cosby's fucking wrong. <laughs> He's wrong. Yeah. Sometimes, like when you stub your toe, you describe a character walking by, turning a corner in the dark to go take a piss. You know, he wakes up, goes to take a piss in the middle of the night, stubs his toe. You know, it's going to hurt. I want to believe it. Make me believe it. Show me that it hurt. Don't tell me I stubbed my toe. Make me fucking feel
1: that it hurt. Oh, yeah. That's usually what... I would do is, like, be, before even saying the action that happened, you describe the pain first. I was walking down the room in the middle of the night, and a jolt of electricity shot up the tip of my big toe, and I couldn't feel what it was, but I knew it was on fire, and before I could realize it, my hands were touching the wood in front of me, and I realized I had smashed it into the corner of the door hinge. I, you know, I,
0: like. I think another tool that's really powerful is simile. Yeah. Simile and metaphor simile
1: I like metaphors more but I tend my, I tend to find myself writing a lot of similes in them with using like or as which I don't like as much using like or as I, I prefer to the irony it. I don't like using like yeah. or as yeah no fuck <laughs> it's, do it it's all, that's why I think I find myself writing it a lot it's like Especially in the millennial culture, "like" it's difficult is to such avoid the word a like. common word to use. Extremely like, hard. Oh man, I was doing this. It was like, oh man, I don't even like. like in fairness, thing there are a lot of things that are like a lot of things. Yeah, but to use a metaphor, I think a lot of times sounds a little bit more polished, a little more beautiful. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. It's,
0: it doesn't. It, it sounds more adult for sure. It sounds cleaner. I feel, you know, like then with "like," it just feels stuttery and, and un, I don't want to say unplanned, cause I, I, you know, to, to imply that it's planned makes it sound bad, but you know what I'm saying? Makes it sound too intentional and contrived,
1: but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would use the example, like even like something simple, like a flower, like if with lycra, as like, in my opinion, it would sound more beautiful. Like, I guess a rose, I guess blood is red. So like lycra, as like a, a flower, you'd say the rose was red, like blood. Or you could say, the rose bled down into the green stem.
0: Definitely better. Just that alone. For sure better. Yeah, For sure.
1: The metaphor usually always works better, but I fucking hate it. Because it's so hard to not use similes because of the way we speak.
0: Like, one thing I started to do a long time ago was... I would go back at... Because somebody gave me this advice a long time ago. I can't remember who it was. And they told me certain words... To go back and analyze and check for those specific words. One of them, and I and I used to do this all the time. Just, just,
1: dude. I had that same epiphany the other day when I was editing, and I took out so many. There's
0: so many just. I I go back and and look. Though
1: I would put though though at the end of a lot of sentences. I was walking in, but I did this anyways. Though. And yeah. like, and I found that at the end of a lot, and I had to cut so many. There's so much fat. So many of those. Yeah.
0: There's so much fat if you really. Li- and that's why I was saying, you know, when I was writing my poetry book, I've said this so many times before. Because it's so succinct, and it's so tight. It it's a really great, even if you're not into poetry, if that's not really your forte, it's a great tool. It's a great tool to to learn and adapt into your arsenal as a writer because. It forces you to make really strong, creative decisions. You have to analyze what you really don't need.
1: That would be perfect for somebody who has trouble cutting.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's when it, you write like it made me story. a way better editor. Yeah. Than anything, it allowed me to really analyze words because my biggest one definitely was was just. And I'm a very rambly person by nature when I talk. So when I write. It's weird. I'm, I'm almost a complete antithesis to that. When I write, I'm a very sparse and succinct writer. I'm very just, you know, I, I don't want to say to the point in the sense that there's no creativity involved, but definitely I cut a lot of bullshit. There are no loose ends. I don't like fat at all. So I want a more minimalist approach because when there's less noise, you'll pay more attention yeah, to the my, words.
1: My second to final edit, man, was just cutting. Like, after I had gone through the book, shit, almost a hundred times, like, this last week, man, I had a good three days where I was just going through the book, cutting. Nothing else but cutting, 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 cutting. Didn't even change a word, just cut it? Just cut. Like, if I was like, this one's too... I mean, every here and there, I'd have to, like, alter a sentence at the ending to make it make more sense after I cut something that was following it, but the majority of it was just cutting because... Yeah, you get to this stream of consciousness when you're writing where you just flow and you don't want to stop. So you just type, 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 type. But it's a good way to be uh, productive, but you you have to cut a lot when it comes down to that because if that's, if that's your style of writing, I mean, some people are more meticulous and they sit down and they write a paragraph at a time. But when I sit down and write, I'll write five to ten pages at a time. So... I have to cut three to four pages of it.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. I'm definitely that guy. I'm definitely the paragraph guy. Yeah. I'll agonize over... Because I, I, I want to say... I want to be very articulate. I want to convey the exact emotion. The exact thing. You know? And I want to leave a strong... Like, one thing I used to do, one mistake I used to, to make a lot when I first started writing more more so. Like, as a young adult... I would say was uh, not just the just and like and this, that, and the other, but it was just the uh, fucking lost my train of thought the amount of time that I spent repeating lines. Like saying this, not just little things that wasted time, but just repeating a point I already made. You know, I I already established this character already said this, and then I would say the same thing in a different way. So I'd have to go back, cut that and I wanted to be really condensed with what the character felt. Yeah. And an- another mistake I just finally fucking remembered what I was going to say. Another mistake I make was I would always uh, I described situations the whole show don't tell. I would over describe scenarios, much like the thing that I hate. It's why I hate it so much because I used to do it. And like when I, even writing poems, it was too much. Uh, telling i I didn't show anything i didn't so my later pieces the later things in the book the later the things that i've created later chronologically were far more visual heavy and a a big huge i mean a huge inspiration for this was deftones the band deftones how so okay so their last couple albums um one in particular let me get it right Yeah, this is it. Koi no Can. It's their. They made this album in. It's a couple years. 2012. It was a few years ago. They've had an album or two since then. Anyway, this album in particular, there's a song on here called Leathers, right? So look this song up if you're listening. It's called Leathers. It's on Koi no Can by Deftones. And particularly, it's the lyrical structure of the song. So it's how. It's not even necessarily what the song's about. It's how he writes it. So he uses a lot of just visual visualization. He'll, he'll describe something visually and just he won't piece it together. So it's very uh, spacey and unorthodox. So instead of a, a, a completely strung together sentence structure, it's more of like I'm giving you an image of an idea. Here's a visualization. I'm describing like this one thing visually and then you're, so there's a connotation when you think about something, when you think about an image, like you were talking about a rose, you'll think about love or, or blood or whatever, thorns even, right? So there are connotations that we have with particular words or descriptions. So it's how he chooses to write songs. So most of my work really isn't inspired by other writers. It's mostly songwriting. Specifically Right Because I love like a flowy Another big one is Fiona Apple Huge Huge inspiration She's very uh, Weirdly sing-songy Particularly a song uh, This song called Every Single Night Fucking amazing song it, it, I, let you, I think I showed you this song a few weeks ago It super intimately Describes what it's like To just go fucking insane you know every single night look that shit up it's it's phenomenal and it's just so intimate and in how it describes losing your mind like truly not knowing how to grasp and keep hold of your sanity and it's mostly told through imagery it's not like I like you're talking about the mundane details of describing a scenario that certainly I could easily see in, in a you know in a flattering way see someone describing uh, an oppressive, grim scenario of someone going through a suffocating depression by the tedium, and uh, for instance, Fight Club, right, um, where the narrator's talking about his his fucking shitty apartment and all his things, and like that, it does a great job of describing the emptiness of materialism and the depression that comes along with it. So that's one way to do it, and that way is done really well. And then, for instance, on a, in a more abstract manner. You have something like Every Single Night, which describes, I wouldn't say necessarily depression, but more about, I would say, mental instability, which is sort sort of connotated with that. And she talks about, like, for instance, let me pull up, let me pull up a couple lines here. I'm sorry for my clicky clacks. I know it's loud. I've got to get a, a, a softer keyboard. But a couple of these lines are just so... Just I, I you know I'm not gonna fucking go out here and recite all the lyrics, but just a couple lines that really stand out, uh, which she's talking about. Let's see, of the little wings of white flame butterflies in her brain, you know, and in her ideas percolate in the mind, trickle down her spine, swarm the belly, swell into a blaze. Like it's it's beautifully sing songy. I mean, it's a fucking song, but it's so abstract in the way it's described, but it's still intensely describes how she feels. Yeah, That's the type of writing I fucking love. I love that. To where it's it's metaphorical and abstract, and it makes me think and, and, and interpret. To where it's layered uh, in a sense that you can read it, and on a surface level, and this is why I like poetry so much, you read something on a surface level, I want it to be written in a simplistic enough manner to where I understand the feeling yeah. that the writer's trying to convey, but there's so many layers that it allows me to dig and, and find more
1: within it. Understand? Yeah. So you like something more cryptic.
0: Yeah, but I you know, I'm not cryptic and with still with a soul. I want it to have a heart and an essence and a, a sense of of purpose, not just, you know, I don't want cryptic for the sake. It's not uh what's that fucking movie with Nicolas Cage? National Treasure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't want it to be me seeking out uh, clues to yeah. figure out a fucking puzzle, you know. It's 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 art, after all. So yeah. Uh,
1: valid point. That's all personal preference, I suppose, at a certain to a certain degree. Mm. But yeah. But uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. Yeah,
0: that's a common theme throughout this one. I'll fucking lose something. The worst is when I lose that train. I'm like, okay, I'm on the train. I'm on the train oh, shit, I've fallen off the train. And then I start up another train, and they're like, well, let me talk about this. Okay, fuck, fuck, fuck. Here's that other train, and then I'll hop back to the other train, which was my original train.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're pretty good at doing that. Usually I have a string of thoughts, and I just follow those. But, uh, yeah, if I get lost, man, I'm pretty much out in the woods without a flashlight. Well, its <laughs> but, I would
0: say it's akin to, like, shitting your pants, but playing it cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not letting other people realize you've shit your pants and someone suspects you, like, no, not me. Dude, I not just me. shit my
1: pants and I wander around wondering what to do.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're just walking up to people, hey, you got a wet wipe? Hey,
0: got a wet wipe? Hey, got a wet wipe? Hey, a hey, wet wipe? Can you take
1: me home? <laughs> could you just fucking
0: imagine shitting your pants Walking up to a stranger um, yeah, Excuse me, uh, I've shat upon myself In my pantaloons, could you please give me a ride home Perchance I did shit myself
1: on a first date Oh my god, that story is fucking amazing That's a good one, man You guys gotta hear this So, I was like insufficiently Trying to get this girl To date me That I was working with And I tried for months upon months, and finally, I I don't know, it was close to a fucking year. I got her to go on a date with me. But, um, so we ended up going to this little hole-in-the-wall Mexican restaurant, and we eat, and it doesn't sit well with my stomach at all. And, but after the dinner, she wanted to go look at some sundresses in this little strip mall that was adjacent to the Mexican restaurant, and at that point, my stomach was boiling (laughs) I was like, all right, you know, just just get through this, and <laughs> we'll be on our way home. But uh, I didn't get through it. <laughs> so spoilers. <laughs> yeah. uh, she starts looking around. I think it was like TJ Maxx or something, some weird store. And uh, I'm like crop dusting in these aisles a few down from her, fucking waving my hands behind my ass, trying to spread the smell. It was pungent, but finally I get to the end of one of the aisles, and I was like, "All right, I think if I get one more good fart out, I'll, I'll feel okay." And I pushed real hard, and it just squirted like like volcano, <laughs> like was not expecting it at all. So like, I wish I could have seen my facial reaction when it happened, cause it, like the eyes had to just like shot wide open just looking blank mouth looking like a donut Wait, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so i'm like fucking scrambling around trying to find a pair of pants or gym shorts or something that i could buy that fit and like all of them are like <laughs> these super huge like gangster jeans they're like 10 sizes too big Would have felt like a parachute walking outside so i i man, i'm Alright, so I go to the clearance section and I find a pair of bell bottoms. It looks like they're from the 1970s Brady Bunch TV show. <laughs> like, they're like this just penetrating blue color, too. Like, it wasn't anything subtle that you could just walk outside and get to your car. It's Especially if like, it was a deep blue. Dude, it was like, look here, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I got bell bottoms. <laughs> so, like, I fucking get them and I go into the line and, uh,. This part I didn't know until afterwards, but apparently the shit had started... It was so liquidy that it started, like, <laughs> seeping through the backs of my jeans. So, like, it already had to smell super bad. But at this point, not only did it smell bad, but the people that were now queuing behind me could see it.
0: <laughs> like, How
1: did you find that out? Because when I got into the bathroom... I took my pants off. Oh, you and saw, saw, it. saw, you saw oh, that yeah. it hit it, Permeate. I was like fucking getting cupfuls of water from the sink, trying to like wash my gooch and ass, and then like, ah, uh, it was horrible. And then I had to throw, well, I did like, I was kind of young then, so I did like a super asshole move. And I'm really sorry about this to any listeners who are fucking clenching their fists after I say this, but I, I thought it was funny at the time. Young, dumb. But anyways, there's this thing you stick your hand up into to get a a seat cover for the toilet. And I stuck my shit boxers up in there. So the next person that tries to grab a seat cover, because they're probably a germaphobe, are going to reach up in there and get splattered with shit on their The
0: fucking... I just... You know, I've heard that story before, but the irony of that someone is getting reaching in there to get a cover to protect their ass to protect themselves from some fucking shit germs only to reach up there yeah, <laughs> and get a dude. fucking handful of shit
1: germs. Oh, uh, dude, I'm such a dick. Like I wouldn't do that now in my later years, but uh goddamn dude. I think I was just trying to find humor in the shitty situation that was happening. The literal to me. shitty
0: situ- yeah. situation.
1: Like I you know, I put my shit pants in the bag that I had gotten my bell bottoms in because those pants were fairly new too and if you know me i wear jeans for like three years or so before i get rid of them so i was like yo i'm not getting rid of these (laughs) and make it even worse like uh, we had left work together so she drove me Mm. so i had to go to her with a, a bag with shit pants in it and then she's like where have you been when i get it when i finally come out of the bathroom I'm like oh i I," and usually i could think of something impetuously you know right on the spot to uh, an excuse man because i was i I mastered it as a child having to lie to my parents (laughs) sneaking out (laughs) but uh man nothing came to mind so i just look at her and i'm like i I I shit myself, and uh, my pants are in this bag. I was wondering if I could put them in your trunk and you can drive me back to work. (laughs) And the funniest part is you dated her for how long? Yeah, after that, dude, we dated for like three years.
0: (laughs) So let it be known. You know, don't be ashamed. Yeah, you just gotta... Own it.
1: You just gotta get it out. But I mean, on the whole drive home, I just made shit jokes. Like, kind of dogging myself, but not in like a... Paranoid, like too much over the top way, but just kind of like a casual. Like anytime there could be a punchline at the end, I added the shit your pants to it. And it so was, she took it well. She took it real well, man. Like after that, she drove me home too. I think maybe maybe my car was at home because I don't. I remember going to. I was living with this guy named Greg, and I go inside there, and she comes in with me. Even after that, I, I immediately just told everyone else the story instead of hiding it with shame. I was like, yeah let's just fucking broadcast it worked out well. It was a fucking repeating joke for a few years. <laughs> but, uh, it was cool, man. And, uh, yeah, so I got some Asian persuasion from her. That was cool. And
0: see, that story in and of itself, it, there's a lot of highlights there. Like, there's a lot of good ways to write that story. Like a short story. You could easily make that into a short story or a fun scene.
1: That scene is also in my book okay so i was but gonna say that would make a good scene it's a different character who does it in the book it's a character named jules he shits himself and uh he's always talking about fucking strippers and sh- shitting and yeah so, so it, he's his, just a vile it, fuck yeah his dialogue in there is strictly just to uh, bring humor throughout like a uh, pretty pessimistic protagonist so he's got like a best friend that comes around and kind of shares his fucking recent adventures and stories, and they're all pretty vile and horrible. So it, like, even though the, the book is kind of like a psychological thriller, I also wanted to add comedy in there, so like, it wasn't just, like, um, one raw thing all the way through. I wanted a lot of elements to be sprinkled inside, so it's kind of captivating from all angles, if at all possible. But I, I like that, too, though. Like, uh, like uh, you, you had mentioned before about the movie Get Out, It's like a horror movie, but a lot. There is some fucking funny parts in there too, and like, like. uh, Well, the best
0: friend character is it's very similar situation. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. When you think about it, he's not in there much. They use he, Jordan Peele uses him sparingly, but he's used well. Yeah, exactly. There's
1: kind of like that element in the same, the same kind of element in my book, but uh, yeah, I think it blends really nice instead of just having. A fucking family move into a new house in town. The house is haunted. One person starts dying, or people die one at a time, or somebody gets fucking possessed, and everything serious, 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 serious well, all the more, way through.
0: It's more about, I think the the higher interest is the more that I'm interested in something is it's the suspense and the unease, it's the uncertainty of a scenario and where you're when the, when the audience with books like that and and movies like that where the audience is kept guessing. That's what I like. I like I don't know where the fuck this is going. I thought that I knew what might be going on and I was like, "Holy fuck, I had no idea. I did not anticipate that shit."
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about with like Black Mirror endings, man. Those like it's mostly a twist at the end, but the twist usually involves technology of some sort, which is really cool. It's I find it captivating because we are in the age of technology. And it's super interesting to think about that because if you go back all the way through history, all the way back to hunter-gatherers, man, after hunter-gatherers making stone tools, that was their, that was what they had. Then you have the dawn of agriculture. That's what they have. Then you start getting more and more art, although I think cave art goes back a lot farther. Let's say we'll go into like the Renaissance or something. And then you have writing that comes in and everything. And then we have the Industrial Revolution, we got steam engines and everything, that's their time era, but we got technology. We are the first and only people in human fucking history in the brink age of technology where we're seeing computers in our pockets going around where we can FaceTime face to face just like fucking uh, Captain Kirk was doing in Star Trek as a futuristic, you know, sci-fi TV show. Like, that's all well, I, reality What? I would say the us. shit
0: that they had was technically technology, but it was more prototypical. It was like the prototype of the things that we actually have. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know? Like, Michio Kaku explained that as like a type one civilization that we were at. And, like, he thinks that we'll get there before we die, I believe. Which is where we occupy a planet and we also occupy space or... Like uh, the ability to travel through space or something. I forgot. He has it all listed. It goes all the way to, I think, Type 4 Civilization, which is like where where you're... I think that's where you finally break the... being able to travel the speed of light. But uh, there's steps for it. But, yeah. We're in that age, though, and the technology is like rapidly increasing so quickly that even like growing up during this age a lot of times i can't keep up with it like the newest stuff that comes out there's always like a convention every year in las vegas that one of my professors in college told me about when i was taking a computers class and dude the shit that they bring there every year is fucking because it's not even on markets yet so like when you see it it's just phenomenal and then the next year it will be on markets and like i still haven't heard about it but it's like somewhere out there people are buying this kind of shit. like there was like a shower where you sat down in it and it took the temperature of your ass and adjusted the water accordingly to about how much it should be on your body temperature or something it was super crazy that it's like things that i'm like oh that'd be cool if this existed it, it might actually you scour the internet long enough, you might actually find that product.
0: I mean, yeah. that's the whole concept of the as-seen-on-TV yeah. items that you see in the fucking, like today, at fucking Walmart at the checkout. I saw that, dude. Yeah, you know, you see that shit. That's, that's pretty much what those are on a you know, pretty uh, basic level, at least. Yeah. Yeah, shit that's like 20 bucks or less. But that's why
1: I like it in the creative style of writing and movies now, because it's so relatable technology, because... When you have a, an ending or a movie based on technology that seems like a little bit in the future, it's so curious and enthralling to me because it's like, how far in the future? Because it's going so fast now. It's like, shit, man, that could just be right around the corner. Or it could be a hundred years, but like you don't even know anymore on some things. Like, right? can they do that? <laughs> like, I, probably. I don't, I don't know. I would say
0: most of the time the answer is yeah, it's probably happening now.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, what's available to the public is just uh, like scratching the surface of what's available to the government. Yeah, and years like behind. The, the, the government's military. Oh my God, and it's just uh, you can't fathom.
0: No, it's we're years behind what the fuck they have.
1: Oh yeah, man, decades probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, but there you know, there are multiple ways to approach something creatively. And and I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's within art, there's there is no one way. That's why it's so fascinating and it's how, and more importantly, you know, in a more humanistic manner, it's how we communicate emotion really. Art is how we find relatability between you know, all, all the entire spectrum of human emotion
1: yeah exactly i mean if you're fucking feeling sad you can read us like uh you could either a read a sad story to feel related to somebody or b you could read a happy story and feel a little bit joy inside that grief and it's the same thing but there's art in many different levels you can listen to stand-up comedy Somebody structured and laced those words together perfectly to make it a punchline joke that they know you'll find funny You know like that's an art within itself i mean movies and art poetry writing film i mean even if you're not doing like movies but there's so many different artistic creative angles you could take with film like i had a really great idea when i was in south korea and i I don't think i don't know if anyone else would have found it interesting but to me i found it interesting was um there was like most people don't smoke out on the streets there, but a lot of people smoke so everyone smokes in alleyways And it was super weird like anytime you pass an alleyway. It was crowded with smokers But I was so used to China where everyone just smokes everywhere fuck you could be in a restaurant eating goddamn dumplings in the morning and There's gonna be some grandpa next to you smoking a cigarette But like China I just thought it would be cool to f- go through and film all the alleyway smokers and just have it labeled like alleyway smokers <laughs> And just have the whole thing in black and white and I don't know why that's but more maybe, like a vignette, I would say. It just seems creative. You can find creativity in anything. I mean, somebody else would find that creatively appealing also, just walking by and noticing it I was look, look, Okay,
0: just, just to add to that, <clears throat> just to indulge what you're saying here a bit. So the whole concept is, let's say you did. You you filmed. Like, I could find the art and the meaning in that, Just in that small sliver of what you're describing, let's say you went by and you did do that, you filmed all the alleyways with all the smokers in a cramped, tight alleyway smoking. Just the the essence behind that alone, right? And it's in black and white, particularly. So it's like you're showing these people who have the freedom to live this, and then outside of the streets where it's free and beautiful and pure, or at least comparatively pure, and they choose to sequester themselves to this dank dark, shitty alleyway, smoking, killing themselves. You see what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. isolation that they've put themselves in, this, like, shittier life. Like, in the, in, You could put that as an anti-smoking ad, basically, is what I'm saying.
1: It could be the one way to interpret it, man. Like, I mean, you could all, you could do it as a anti-smoking ad. You could do it as just, like, a, the black and white could be representing, like, your knowledge of the subconscious, darker world inside of you wanting to destroy itself. So you find Ooh, this little that's dark a good one. corner and you that's smoke a good to one. kill yourself. And it's that's like, you like
0: you know. the Freudian death drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really interesting way of looking at it.
1: But you can find creativity in anything. Like I'm saying, like, whether you read a poem or you look at some people in an alleyway smoking cigarettes, like it's so beautiful how the human mind is. I don't know why. I mean, with this evolutionary programming that we have laced throughout the helix of our DNA, to survive is somewhere mixed in that is creativity and i guess it probably is for ingenuity but it's so amazing how humans have learned to express it in different ways that isn't for ingenuity like you know we need creativity to create an engine we need creativity you know to create a subway system to create all these tools that help make life more convenient But at the same time, you could use that creativity just as entertainment or something to relate to in the field of emotions.
0: Well, I think it's twofold, right? So it's like you have humans are inherently curious and they want to create because, one, it's a survival mechanism. And then from an entertaining perspective, entertainment perspective, it's that it's it's sort of a conundrum. Like we've utilized all this curiosity and all this knowledge and intellect to create a world that is... Pretty. Oh, let's just be honest. Pretty fucking good, and pretty easy to survive in on a, on a fundamental level, for right? The most parts, the for the most part. For the most part. For the in the fir, in the first world, for for yeah. certain. Yeah. And and the and as such, life has become so easy for this demographic that we have to constantly distract ourselves. And that's why a lot of entertainment, not all, but a lot of it, is just void of any meaning or any substance.
1: Yeah, that's why, what we talked about earlier, it's just eventually going to go to that wall situation. Yeah, it's man. just shit posting. Yeah. Most,
0: I mean, most of our communication now is done through memes, for fuck's sake.
1: Yeah, I mean, but what I do like, that the, what's catching on the internet, I mean, I'm not a part of it, but I do kind of respect it, to a certain degree, is how much... It's, oh, it's actually kind of annoying, but... It's. I think it's also great. Okay, how much people are fucking getting gymed up on the internet, man? Like just posting shit about gym and getting fit and like posting like whether it's a dude showing a six-pack or a woman doing her squats. Okay,
0: I see see what you're saying. I see the the good and the bad in this. Yeah, because, man,
1: America's getting so fat and we're turning into fat wallies in our computer chairs sucked into a virtual reality that has nothing to do with the real world and we're just escaping from it in a pleasurable fucking utopia of computerized consciousness where we feed ourselves artificial snacks. But at the same time... You can get influence from these fucking morons on Instagram because you're like, oh, I want a six-pack. <laughs> but that, in turn, makes you make healthier choices. Well, have you seen... Didn't, didn't I... Uh,
0: like you listen to that Father John Missy song, Total Entertainment Forever. The The fucking end point of the song is like, they're going to find us after our era is done and gone and the fucking world is frozen over again. They're going to find us within our fucking homes in a VR headset, living like some bullshit life while we're just melting away at
1: our fucking sofas. Yeah. You know? I mean, fuck, I could see it I could. Well, I kind not see it with everybody Because there is people Like, I would like to say I mean, I guess I can say no Because mm, virtual reality is out Augmented reality is out And I don't, I don't really find it too fascinating It's cool, I could do it It's the same thing as video games for me I could do it for maybe an hour And then I'm like, ah, okay, I'm done I'm burned out So, like, I could never be one of those people That sinks into the couch Like a melting fucking ice cream cone It reminds
0: me of that, uh Shell Silverstein Jimmy Jett and the TV set have you read that what it's, book is it then? I've uh, read
1: almost all of his books, I just don't remember. I can't one.
0: remember which one, but Jimmy Jet I have it over there. Okay. But it's uh, probably in that one Where the sidewalk ends. Yeah, Jimmy Jet, he he's so obsessed with his uh, television set and distracting himself and rotting his mind with you know, bullshit programming that he turns into the actual TV set. So Jimmy Jet watches the TV set all the time and he becomes one with the TV set. So his he head mentioned. is now TV set.
1: Silverstein was a badass dude, man. <laughs> oh, he was awesome. He was such a cool guy. I think I told you before, he used to do illustrations for Playboy. Yeah, for he told me that, which out. I never knew that. Yeah, he used to hang out at the Playboy Mansion a lot, too. I think he started uh, as a cartoonist when he was in the Army doing cartoons for the Army's newspaper. Then after that, I think he illustrated a little bit for uh, Playboy. And then that's when he started making his own books. But like the one, the illustrations I saw some of them from the his old army newspapers, and they look just like adult versions of his child's books. It's almost
0: like the the pi- books, it's almost so, like sorry. the Pixar effect, where you take it's like uh, the Giving Tree, where you take a very adult uh, set of emotions and make it simple enough for children to understand.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the best way, in my opinion, to get children to learn and. The best way to get their minds to start thinking creatively because yeah. they're learning through metaphors mm-hmm. which means they're understanding more complex ideas because it's not just coming to straightforward fact as memorization you're learning through like a, a different element whether it be surprise or interpretation or metaphorical meaning or something that's just layered and I think that's beautiful for like uh, teaching children because that also gets them interested, it stems their creativity, it gets them engaged, and it gets them thinking more complex thoughts. Yeah, well,
0: nothing, I feel like nothing's more powerful than a child's imagination. Especially, um, goes
1: all over. Dude, uh, man, I had a short story about that one time. About like a, it was a, actually, it was a, more like a, something I wanted to turn into a children's book at one time, and it was called My Friend the Alien. And, like, uh, he had an alien friend that would visit him at night. And uh, there's probably this this storyline has probably been used before because when I thought of it, it was too good. <laughs> then I was like, someone else has definitely done this. But um, the, as he gets older, like, his parents keep telling him that uh, the alien's not real and he needs to forget him. So eventually, he just tells the alien he can't hang out with him anymore because he's supposed to be like an adult. And then so he casts the alien away. And then he realizes that the alien was his creativity. And when he grew up, he just decided to throw the creativity away to be a normal person in society.
0: Reminds me of that Tenacious D song, Kickapoo, I think, where he he has all these dreams to do this, that, and the other, and his dad's like, fuck off with all those dreams. Shove that (laughs) shit down. Shove that shit down.
1: Jack Black's an amazing
0: human being. Oh, God, I love him. I told you, best YouTube channel ever. It remind, You talk about the children's book. It reminds me, talking about like adult concepts. So there's this, I use the word band loosely. Uh, it's called Mount Erie. I would say Musical Project. This guy, I believe his name is Phil Elverum. The music is super bleak. I would not recommend at least this one album to just casually listen to. I would say uh, it's a gut-wrenching experience. It's just so... I've never heard someone so intricately and <laughs> plainly describe what it's like to lose someone you love. So his wife, uh, they had a kid, and then shortly after, I mean like months after, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She was like 31, super young. And if you know anything about pancreatic cancer, I mean, you're fucked. It's it's one of the worst, if not the worst form of cancer that an adult could have. And uh, there, I think there are more severe forms that are strictly amongst children but as far as like an adult human being it's fucking the worst the yeah, survivability of like that
1: one cancer that has like um a, a strange percentage it's like you either survive or you don't like it's like a real strict on the surgery it's like, like um, a 30 70 or something
0: yeah, i know what you're talking about you're talking about the whipple procedure i think because so,
1: well, someone was saying that happened to steve jobs like because he just he decided to take no chemo, radiation, or nothing, and just trying to eat everything organic to try. I think it was pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic he did cancer. have pancreatic cancer, and they were saying like I ended up reading like a Reddit article saying like the procedure he needed with after like chemotherapy was super simple, and he had like a like a seventy plus chance of survival. And he I don't was know just about a, that. Decided to take it completely organic. I would plate. say
0: that's probably false.
1: I, it could I, be. I, I'm not it a could doctor, that's doctor that's but asking asking about imagination, about I don't
0: but, know. but pancreatic cancer is a super high rate of mortality. It's very, very high. Because it's often you don't show symptoms until typically stage four. So you're pretty well dead. You're by, you're walking, you're a dead man walking by the time they, they figure out that you have it. Yeah. Uh, you'll start to get jaundiced or have abdominal pain and, you know, your shit's like clay colored and your piss is really dark, like your pancre- your pancreas shuts down, but they will attempt to do something called a whipple procedure that cut you end to end in your abdomen, uh, I think horizontally, if I'm not mistaken, they take out uh, the head of your pancreas, part of your intestines maybe, part of your stomach. It's pretty intense. And, and that surgery alone is very dangerous. Most people don't survive pancreatic cancer. It's something like 5% have a five-year survivability. And even then, the majority of those people will die after that three to five years. Yeah. It's pretty, br- pretty brutal. Anyway, so his wife, he describes what it's like in excruciating detail, losing her, it's Fucking Christ! I'll never listen to it again. It's fucking devastating. But anyway, while she was dying, she had about a year to live. Uh, they raised the GoFundMe for her treatments and stuff. It, it you know it didn't work. But she wrote this children's book. I think I have it over there. It's called A Bubble, and it's talking about children's novels. The reason I bring this up, her ch- children's books, she talks about. You could look here. This and she's an illustrator primarily, but her book. See, like, she is in this... She's talking about her relationship with her daughter and how she's in this bubble and this barrier, you know, between... Them because of her dying. So she wrote it while she was dying and, like, how powerful of a concept it can be for something that's just so cruel and, and tragic for a, a, a young mother to, to be fucking snuffed out by her own body... As her child is, is growing up, and her child was super small, she's probably no recollection of it, but just how her child will look back on that and have that uh, is sort of uh, a recollection of what, what took place. But how to approach something so adult and so harrowing in a manner that a child could understand it. Yeah. And finding that relatability and that thread creatively. To where you can appeal to everybody. I think that's why Pixar is so successful. You know, if you look at something like *Wally Up* is, in my opinion, their best movie. How they took something that's just so difficult. You know, an old man and his. I mean, that's a very. That's something we'll all face. He's an old, old man. he's lived this long, full, beautiful life with his wife. She dies in like the first ten fucking minutes. And he's devastated, and he has no will to, to go on like most people would imagine being that old. Like I imagine being with my wife for another 30, 40, 50 years, and, you know, that's it. She's gone or I'm gone, and what will happen afterwards? And finding the will to live and the excitement in life to to go on after you lose someone you love like that, who who are, is sort of your other half. So I, I don't know. I, I love stuff like that as well. That's why I like... I like Really well. I told you too uh, where the where the red fern grows. Yeah, stuff like that. I love taking simple concepts like that and conveying them, in, in something complex like that and conveying it in a simple enough way.
1: Yeah, Bukowski had a quote about yeah, he that did. too.
0: Yeah, how that's what an artist takes something complex like that and makes it simple, and an intellectual takes something simple and makes it complex.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I would love to start getting into that. Just maybe as practice for creativity or just adjusting my perception like in storytelling by trying to write children's stories with complex ideas but putting it simply because that does seem like a task in and of itself it would be i think it'd be an
0: awesome creative tool because it would force you to get to like the heart of what you're trying to
1: say i think if i had like a consistent illustrator i would try to dive into it i know there's not much money or anything and children's books unless you make it to the, the upper echelon of like the sellers which from what i had read online previous is pretty hard to do but you could make decent selling your own but i mean probably only about 300 bucks a month at most if you're selling on amazon well i mean you can make books.
0: children's like i mean but, look at raw doll but those aren't necessarily like children's books children yeah children's. that's
1: the upper echelon though too you yeah, know, i the, suppose that's true a, that's, that's a rare yeah they're the top saying. man
0: Yeah, and that's, like, a whole book. Are you talking about, like, a children's book? Like, very small, like, cardboard pages that's, you know, maybe 20 pages or something, and it's one line per page? Are you talking about, like, a children's book in the sense of, like, it's a very small novel?
1: I would like to do, like, a very small novel, kind of like Doll*. But, um, yeah, I would like there to be, like, a few illustrations flooded between the pages, similar to like your your poetry book how you like about how many how many pictures do you have in that book five about five yeah i would say between five and eight yeah pictures throughout it it'd be about the same length and same size as yours too something like that how many pages is yours 75 about 75 yeah like that would be fine you have some pictures incorporated in there some chapter pages you know like maybe down to like fucking 60 pages right there and like a, if the you know a young kid can get through that especially if they're oh, first yeah. getting into reading and they're really you know getting a developed mind towards you know literature and uh, well I think that's such a key
0: more. that's such a key time I've told you this before Freckle Juice was a big moment for me reading that book
1: yeah but what kind of book was it Was it a novel or was it a picture book no it was a novel it was it's a like a,
0: a little no, let me look at the page count on that Freckle Juice uh when I was a kid, you know, I've had... Obviously, I've had freckles. Damn, I did not know it's that old. 1971, Judy Bloom wrote it. 47 pages. Uh, yeah, he... <laughs> See, that's okay, nine, but it's nine, the opposite. Pages. He wants freckles. See, I misremembered it. Okay. Uh, he wants to have freckles. Andrew desperately wants to have freckles so that his mother will never notice when his neck is dirty. He buys a recipe from a classmate from a horrible concoction called freckle juice that is supposed to cause a person to get freckles. It just makes him sick, however, causing his mother to think he has appendicitis. He stays home the following day and recovers. When he's well enough to return to school, he gives himself freckles with a blue magic marker, but soon regrets it and is revealed that his teacher gave him when his teacher gives him magic freckle remover. Ironically, the school friend he admired for having freckles asked for the magic marker remover, causing the same boy to try and sell this boy freckle-removing juice. See, I thought he had freckles and wanted to get rid of them. So I suppose my, my second grade teacher gave me this book, I think that she gave this to me so that I would appreciate having freckles. That was yeah. the general gist behind it because I was ashamed of having them. I was very embarrassed by having freckles as a child because I was picked picked uh, picked on for it.
1: Oh, shit. And once you probably got a little older and that South Park episode came out... The- oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. That was brutal. The whole
0: ginger thing, that yeah, wasn't that- even a thing. Ginger was not a derogatory... But by then, I just learned to... To live with it, I was old enough to where I was, I was fine with it. I, yeah, had accepted yeah, yeah. it. I just sort of rolled with the punches. But as a kid, as a kid, kid, it was fucking brutal. But you know, just again, things like that, like connecting with a young mind on it on that type of creative level.
1: Yeah, I find it that would be like, in my opinion, a little bit more difficult because, like, when I sit down and I write, it's you know, like I said, I get in a very easy stream of consciousness because. A lot of things are relatable to what I've I've done, I've seen, I've felt, I've seen somebody else do, or I've seen somebody else express, which I wouldn't imagine a child wouldn't have done. Wouldn't have done yet. I would or, hope. A lot of them, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. poor child. Yeah, so it would be a huge, huge turn, but imagine. All right, so I, I read a lot of fucked up stuff. So imagine if I start writing children's books, and then. As the kid gets older, they read my adult books and go, Holy shit, I used to fucking read this guy as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a psycho.
0: <laughs> well, what you could do is you could have almost like a series where you write a children's book and you use that, and that protagonist is the protagonist that you use in your later books. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. That's going to fuck their
1: minds up. When they so, like,
0: older. if you wrote a children's book, like the protagonist of your novel now, that could be the protagonist. You could sort of plant the seeds. It's almost like a prequel. But, like, a children's prequel. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's... That's had to have been done
1: before. Yeah, but I would have to be with more innocent books than my own, man. Because a kid's like... the yeah. kid, once he gets to middle school, he's going to read my book. But then there's, like, fucking weird sex scenes and shit in there, too. Yeah, so but you, like, could
0: have, you could have, like, in between stages. You know? You could have a children's book with the same protagonist you have now, and he's a child, and plant the seeds for, like, little personality traits. Very small, subtle ones. And then you could have a young adult novel yeah. as well you know and it's the same guy who carries yeah, over it is a you cool could, idea I, could, like, I like where you're going right with that, and yeah. you could see him how he develops and, yeah. and, and why he has the, and it would sort of explain why he has the traits he has so it's not it's a prequel but very loosely yeah sort of it's own thing
1: and it's how to make a murderer yeah <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah 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 yeah
0: Anything else you want to add here?
1: Well, guys, I think we're going to be out. Um, I'm going to try to convince Mitch here to drive me to Sheets because I'm still in between my travels right now, so I'm staying here at Mitch's place in his spare room thanks to him. So go and buy his book on Amazon. It's full of gay shit. It's very gay. It's called Raw. <laughs> yeah, Raw. Get it?
0: W- See, I mean, that's gay in and of itself. Yeah. Jesus. That is gay. But that's R-A-W. okay. It's a it, it, quote Seinfeld, Not that there's anything wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, tune in next time. I'll probably still be here at Mitch's for a little while until I go to Tahiti. And then once I go to Tahiti, I'll be opening up a YouTube channel for travel. So we'll get you guys linked into that as well. And after that, uh, I'll be going to Peru for that ayahuasca ceremony that I told you for my spiritual pilgrimage. So we got a lot of shit coming up. The podcast is starting to take up a little bit, and our content, or Mitch's content, is getting pretty pretty rad. So um, you guys stay tuned, and keep up, and keep listening. And if there's anything you guys want to tell us, or how fucking gay or stupid we are, and how much you hate listening to this, leave it in the comments, or write a message to Mitch, and just call him a ginger faggot. Whatever you guys want to do, would, man. I would appreciate any of that. Spice you want, up your days. You want to shamelessly plug your book one more time? No, I think you got it. Oh, you got it. you. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Get Millennial Purgatory. <laughs> and we'll be out in about a week or two. Uh, that's assuming everything goes fine with the publishing on Amazon. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled for it. And if you want to read something real shitty, read raw, Mitch's book. <laughs> but, yeah, besides that, stay tuned. And uh, tell us how much you hate us. All right, wrap it up. See y'all.